So the one thing you said, you started off that statement by saying, I want, right? So I'm going to just point back at you. That's your desire system, right? And you're not getting what you want or what you perceive to be right or good. And that causes conflict within you. Forget your kid. Take your kid out of the equation, right? Because as we discussed previously, if the whole thing's a mirror, if the whole game's just a series of mirrors set up to let me see myself, then you have to disconnect the exterior world from that situation for just a moment and take a moment of self-reflection and say, man, the conflict's arising within me because I want it this way and it's not conforming. Even if you may see the world in a certain way, like, hey, don't run out into the street. You might get hit by a car. You understand? That's a great statement. It doesn't have to go anywhere beyond that. Now, it's this series of desires that we have for the external world, and we want it to bend to our will, to our version of the narrative. And that's where the conflict arises, because it's not conforming to my mental narrative of things. And right there, as soon as that conflict arises within me, I want it this way, but it's coming out that way. Now I'm conflicted. Now I'm feeling a little tight. Right. So everything that I do and say is going to be a reflection of that inner vibe. And that inner vibe just got really tight. So now everything you do is going to come out with a level reflective of that vibe, basically, and just going to breed more conflict because the other person won't be able to hear you because you're coming with static. You know, you're coming as an opposing force, so to speak. The wisest thing I've ever heard, which is really hard to follow, and I have really hard time having this conversation sometimes, is the best thing we could do for our kids is do as little as possible for them. Be present. The greatest gift we can give our kids is presence. Not like the presence you unwrap, but just being there with them. And I touched on this last time, where they're caretakers, they're custodians, to make sure things don't go off the rails. We create certain parameters. We don't make them too rigid, too tight. Right? We let the kids be kind of free range to the degree that we're able. But when we see it's about to kind of you know, go off a cliff, then we're there saying, hey, hey, I'm going to nudge you back in the other direction. I was tying my kid's shoes when my kid didn't know how to tie his shoes. The moment my kid learned how to tie his shoes, it was my time to step away from that function because now he's got it. And the more he does it for himself, the more experienced he will be and the less involved I will be. Now, after my kid learned to tie his shoes, sometimes I got to rush out of the house. So I'm going to say, let me do it. I could do it better. I could do it faster. So now I'm doing it again for them, even though he knows how to do it. Because again, it's my desire system flexing at that moment. Now, when I keep doing it on his behalf, even if I think I'm doing it for the right reasons, I'm limiting his experience doing it. I'm crippling his self-confidence because I'm saying I could do it better right now. And I'm basically, I'm, uh, this is called the devouring parent archetype. You basically eat them up in this way, where they can't do anything without you. They need you for everything. We keep them really kind of close to us because we're scared of the ramifications of what happens if, you know, they fly the coop. Then who am I? I'm not a father anymore. And then I lose my belief system or my narrative starts to unwind. And now I have to refigure things out. And I don't want that. That's scary because I don't like change. So the idea is they're saying, hey, do as little as possible for your kids. Let them experience this life. Be there. Be their custodian. You know what I mean? Provide this structure that doesn't turn into a cage. When it's too tight, it's a cage. But if it's structured far out and the walls are really far out and I can't see them, I don't even know they exist. I get to play. I get to be free range. So let them experience this life. That soul came into this existence for a very specific rhyme and reason. Now we're not privy to it. 
And we can't let it unfold if we're constantly hovering in, you know, being helicopter parents or trying to overdo it or saying, no, no, I could do it better. Let me show you. And stealing all of their ability and confidence, et cetera, et cetera. It just kind of spirals out of control. So it's really hard for a parent to take this to heart and play this game that way. And I don't mean to call it a game to trivialize it. I mean that it has structure to it that we're not necessarily aware of, but it's like step off. Like step off and let your kid just be, let them live. And now when they have a question, when they need some advice, then you have a more friendly relationship as opposed to parent versus child. Well, if I'm the parent, you're the child and I'm the boss and you're the follower and et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, all these rules that I consider to be appropriate, I'm going to impose onto you, but I don't know why you came here in the first place. I don't know what your deal is. I have to learn that. I have to figure that out. It's going to come out of you. It's going to show itself, not if I keep putting my narrative onto you, because now you're going to live through my rigid structure, but that's very inappropriate for you. And it gets very tight. And then the kid rebels and the kid goes in the other direction. So what I want with my kids is I want to be a friend to them. I don't want to be their dad. With my son, I call him bro all the time, just to kind of desensitize the father-son relationship a little bit and kind of say that, hey, we're friends. We're brothers through this, you know? Um, with my daughter, same thing. It's like, you know, you're more my sister than my daughter. We're, we're, we're just friends because I want you to know that as we're going through this journey together, that if something goes sideways for you, you should be able to come to me and have this conversation with me, you know, as if we were friends. But if you recognize me as the gatekeeper or the rule maker, man, you ain't coming to me. I remember myself as a kid. I didn't want anything to do with, you know, coming to my parents for advice because I recognized that, you know, things were just upside down in that relationship. So I just kind of rebelled against it. So, man, we have to do as little as possible for our kids. We'll be there for them, be there in compassion and with love, you know, but ultimately it's like, I don't want to stop him from playing in the playground because I'm worried he's going to skin his knee. I know that skinning your knee is part of the process. It's all good. And when that happens, I'll be there for you. I love you. I'm going to throw my arm around you. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to clean you up. And then I'm going to say, go play again. You know, and in fact, if you watch with kids, it's like my kid goes down the slide, falls, scrapes his knee, starts crying. I come over, you know, give him a little love. Two seconds later, he's over it and he's out there playing again. He doesn't suffer his memory. He's not repeating in his mind, oh, this is what happened to me. I went down the slide. I skinned my knee. I cried. I don't ever want to cry again. So that means I shouldn't go down the slide ever again. That's the memory that we suffer as adults, reinforcing our history as if it's our future. And then we create our own prison. But the kid has this short-term memory and he's like, oh, cool. He's even past it. He's not even remembering he was crying a moment ago. He recognizes, oh, I got hurt. And guess what? Now I'm over it. Pain doesn't stick around forever. I don't have to suffer it. I can get back on the slide and enjoy myself again. This time I'll be a little more cautious. This time I'll watch both ways before crossing the street. The flip side of the coin is I cripple them by limiting their experience in this life, by trying to preclude them from pain, heartache, and then I basically steal their life from them because I'm worried about my own historic kind of record repeating itself through my children. And then all I'm doing is making a mess of things. I'm making a mess of things for my kid and I'm making a mess of things for me. And then conflict is just natural there because the kid wants freedom and I want structure and boom, we're at odds. Every time a little conflict arises, it opens up that wound of all of that historic conflict and it turns into all out war in seconds. That's why it escalates in seconds because there's so much unresolved history that hasn't been brought to bear, that hasn't passed, we haven't accepted it, we haven't forgiven each other. So it's still there. It's a mound of hurt 
And the slightest little thing, the little, the slightest little pinprick that touches that wound will just create an opening for all of it to come out. Because what does it want? It wants out. The conflict doesn't want to be harbored inside. That's how we get sick when we hold on to all these things. Whether it's food or psychological baggage, the more we hold on to, the more we accumulate, the sicker we get. And there's a daisy chain for this. We got to accept it. We got to heal. We got to move past it. We got to let it all go. And then every time this little pinprick happens, there's nothing trying to force its way out. But if all this stuff is inside us and it's being you know, held back, it's festering, it's getting inflamed, then all it wants is out. Now, how are we going to give it an opportunity to come out? Is it going to be through these unintended reactions and arguments that trigger it? Or is it going to be in a natural, healthy way where we kind of open ourselves up and say, hey, man, I've been holding on to this and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. That's uncomfortable. We run from discomfort for all the wrong reasons. They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's like, let me go through this hard conversation for one moment, for a few minutes, instead of letting this fester where it's going to blow up for years and years and years to the degree that I don't even want to see you anymore. You know, and we fracture our relationships just by the unwillingness of going through a slight little moment of discomfort. So the question is, how much are we willing to accept? You know, I work with a lot of folks and, and we talk about surrender and we talk about letting go, especially for these kind of, you know, psychedelic experiences. It's one of the benchmarks of the whole experience to be able to just kind of surrender the way you think it's going to be or the way it needs to be to receive it the way it is. And we talk about, you know, uh, letting go. And people say, well, what does that even mean? How do I let go? What am I letting go of? They don't recognize they're even holding anything to let go of anything. It's, it's buried so deep that I don't even know what I'm holding on to. So it's like, what am I letting go of? And as I kind of put it, the natural order of things is that we can't hold anything. A human being, this vessel, this, this machine that we're inhabiting, you can't hold a thing. Like you eat, 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 what's going to happen? The waste has to come out. There's just no doubt about it. What happens, let's say, if you don't? I get sick. I get constipated. Now, if I don't take care of that, what's going to happen? The waste is going to build and build and build. It's going to get inflamed, and it's going to start traveling throughout the body. And then we have conditions like toxic shock syndrome. And then if you don't deal with toxic shock syndrome, it leads to sepsis. And then that could lead to gangrene. And then gangrene leads to amputations. And then if you don't deal with that, then you're dead. Game over for that form. Now, like we said, the natural order of things is to pass. So it's easy to understand this process with the food. But now we eat with our senses all day long. We're consuming media, we're consuming people, we're consuming our environment, we're consuming our parents' words, we're consuming our teachers, we're consuming our traumas, we're experiencing all of these things in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. That too needs to be passed. Because if I hold on to it, if I hold on to my trauma, it's not going to go good. Because just like the food, all of this historic stuff, these experiences that happened to me that I start collecting in my mind, they were life lessons, not life sentences. The idea was I wasn't supposed to hold on to any of it. I was supposed to experience it. There's a gem of a lesson in there, and I move on. And so the natural order of things, again, is to be experienced and expressed and done. You're done with it. That's it. You walk through life nice and light. But certain things pop off in our lifetime 
that we're not prepared to deal with at that moment. Let's say it's a trauma that happens and we're a child, we're six, seven years old, and we don't know how to deal with it. And we don't have a caretaker next to us that could coach us through it properly or help us learn that, hey, man, you know, it happened, it's over. You don't need to hold it anymore. If we don't have that kind of sage wisdom chirping in our ear, then we say, oh, man, this is heavy stuff. This hurts. I don't know how to deal with it, so let me put it on the shelf for a moment, for a day, a year, whatever. I'll get back to you later. Let me go and play again. A day passes, a year passes, time passes. It's still there. It's begging to be resolved. It's going to manifest in these ever-increasing degrees of magnitude until I finally get the message so I can come back to it so I can resolve it. The alarm bell will ring to remind us that something was unresolved and it'll manifest in you know a bunch of different ways a bad mood a, a memory uh, an argument with somebody that's structured around that same kind of trauma it manifests in all these ways the alarm bell rings i don't heed the call alarm bell gets louder it's time to recognize it's time to do something about it if i don't do anything about it the alarm bell gets louder still and it keeps going and it manifests and it keeps getting heavier and heavier and we run into these conditions like depression and anxiety and ptsd and ocd all of these terms are describing an accumulation it's just pointing at the fact that we've been holding on to all of this stuff unnecessarily and it's getting inflamed and it's traveling throughout the body and then it finds the weakest point and then it localizes itself there because it thinks that's the way out. And then all of a sudden we have a knee pain or a kidney pain or a depression. And then still, if we don't do anything about it, then it fully disrupts our life when we get really sick. So a lot of the illness that we deal with, unfortunately, is psychosomatic. We lay it on ourselves. We lay it on ourselves because we're not willing to accept what happened and we decide I'm going to hold it instead. Now you keep putting this stuff that you're holding into a little bag and put it on your back and carry it around and keep doing that and keep doing that. And every step you're going to take in this world is going to get heavier and heavier and heavier because you're carrying 50 pounds, then 60 pounds, then 100 pounds, and then you don't even realize you're carrying anything anymore. And every step just becomes heavy in life because you've been doing it for so long. You're so accustomed to carrying this extra weight that you forget it's even there. But now you're paralyzed. You can't go anywhere. You're sick. So now you need help. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we, we got to go backwards. You know, in Ayurvedic medicine, they, they figured out that, you know, there are six stages to disease. And we just kind of talked through them, but they identify them as accumulation leads to inflammation, leads to spread, leads to localization, leads to manifestation, which leads to the sixth stage, which is full-blown disruption. And at that level, that sixth stage, mind you, it increased every step of the way. At that sixth stage, when we're talking about disruption, we're talking about the heavy hitters, like we just touched on, like depression and anxiety, the heavy stuff, PTSD, all of it, man. But that's already the sixth stage. Now, if you come to the average doctor and you're going to tell him your symptoms, he's going to classify you according to his experience and education, take your symptoms and treat your symptoms, he's going to give you that pill. And that pill will be treating your symptoms, which is the sixth stage, but it won't do anything about all that accumulation that you've been carrying around, which led to the disease in the first place. And then that pill is going to have unintended side effect, and the doctor can't take you off the antidepressant, so he's going to give you a pill for your constipation. And then when you come back with another side effect, he's going to give you another pill for that, and then another pill for that, because I can't take you off your SSRI, your mood stabilizer. I can't do it. I don't have another tool for you. I'll be a very bad doctor. 
you know, if I can't write you another pill, unfortunately. But that's all changing right now. You know, holistic medicine is hitting the scene very hard. Functional medicine, these Eastern schools of thought are starting to creep into the Western process a little bit more. And it's leading to a more robust understanding of the human condition and therefore yielding more appropriate treatments. But ultimately, if you come to me with these symptoms, we got to run it back through those six degrees of illness and find out what are you holding, man? What are you holding physically? What are you holding psychically, psychologically? What are you holding on to that's manifested in such a way that now we're dealing with this range of really heavy symptoms? We got to unwind it. So again, when it comes to letting go, it's like, man, letting go is the natural order of things. Stop holding on. If you stop holding on, there's nothing to let go of. But we haven't been taught that way. We haven't been taught the appropriate techniques to not hold everything. In fact, we're taught the opposite. We're taught to hoard everything. Money's good. Get as much of it as you can. Hold as much of it as you can. Good experiences are great. Have as many of them as you can. Hold on to them. Cherish them. Take every photograph. <laughs> Social media kills me sometimes. Uh, and we hold on to this and we use that as the standard. And every time something goes sideways, I go and reference that photo. Oh, I was so happy there. Look at me. I'm smiling. We're taught literally to hold on to all of this stuff. But that's so inappropriate. The idea is experience and let go, experience and let go, experience and let go. Don't hold it. People look at me sideways when I say that one. They're like, listen, I know I'm not supposed to hold on to a trauma. That makes sense. But I shouldn't hold on to, you know, that delicious pizza I had yesterday. That was the best pizza I ever had in my life. I said, absolutely, you shouldn't hold on to that. Because I love pizza. You know, I've had some great pizza. But ultimately, if I have this one standard of pizza, which was the best pizza I ever had, every time I have another slice or another pie, and I measure it against that great pie. I'm like, oh, I'm let down. I'm like, but that wasn't as good as my favorite pie. What am I going to do now? Wow, I thought pizza was going to do the trick for me. So you know what? Let me go back to that place. You ran out of pies. You're closed. Oh, man, what am I going to do now? Let me search for it somewhere else. Oh, I have another slice. Oh, this one pales in comparison too. They say comparison is the thief of joy. It really, really is. Because if I'm holding on to that high standard and everything else fails to meet it, then I'm left feeling down. What am I going to do? And I start chasing my own tail. So absolutely, don't hold on to the bad stuff. But don't hold on to the good stuff either. You had the experience. Move on. You're going to have another experience, another experience. And they're all beautiful. But if you start to categorize them and rank them, you're going to get caught up, again, chasing your own tail because you're always going to be in pursuit of some ideal that exists only in your mind. The best pizza is the one you're having right now. That's it. You have the beauty of eating the pizza right now. Enjoy it. Like enjoy it fully. Immerse yourself in it. Don't measure it against anything. Don't compare it because it's real right now. Everything else is in your imagination. And when we run out of all those accepted ways of chasing that high, now we're going to turn to all those, you know, gray areas. Now we're going to turn to drugs, turn to making more money. And we're going to want more and more and more because we're trying to accumulate. We're trying to just hoard my version of the ideal standard and hold on to it for dear life. It's just like holding on to the food. You're going to get sick. There's just no doubt. You know, there's just no doubt. So don't hold anything. Let it all go. Letting it go again, the natural order. And acceptance, acceptance is key. You know, if I don't accept whatever it is, man, then I'm rejecting it. I'm saying, no, this isn't appropriate. This isn't good. I don't want it this way. I want it some other way. And now I'm back in my imagination trying to create a narrative that 
releases the pressure. My resistance to experiencing a little bit of discomfort keeps me running away from accepting that very thing that's been festering within me. It's within me. It's real. It's there. It's dying to come out. But I can't let it out if I'm busy pushing it down all the time. And the idea is stop pushing it down, face it, just accept it. You know what? It happened. It happened. It's over. It's not happening now. It's only happening now because I'm holding it. It's bouncing around within my system looking for a way out. Remember, it's that ounce of prevention. Take a moment, let it rise to the surface. It will come up because it's dying to get out. So if I'm not running any resistance, it's coming up naturally. If I was willing, if I was just so willing to experience the discomfort for a moment, and I just sit there and I just stop running and I close my eyes and I just let whatever's coming up to come up, even if it's going to make me uncomfortable. In fact, I welcome the discomfort. So I sit there, I close my eyes, I tune out the outside world and I just watch and I just watch as a patient observer of my own system, I watch what comes up. And something's coming up and it's not feeling good and it's this historic memory or trauma or whatever it is. As soon as I'm willing to look at it, as soon as I'm willing to give it space to come up, boom, it passes because I let it. I stopped repressing it. I stopped holding it down. So as soon as you stop holding it down, the natural order of things, it's like gravity inversed. It's like it's just going to come up. And as soon as it comes up and I'm like, yeah, man, that happened. I'm okay with that. It's over now. It's not occurring now. I don't need to push it down anymore. Letting go is the natural order of things. We can't hold on to anything. Acceptance is where we should focus our awareness. Once accepting, the letting go just happened. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, rate, and share so that we could do our part in spreading the light and diminishing the darkness.